There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, listeners. This episode is sponsored by italki. And although I really recommend their service for improving your English, I can't speak too loudly about it because I don't want to wake up my baby who is sleeping in the next room. So I'll whisper this sponsorship promo instead, okay? So the thing is that this podcast is designed to help you improve your English by listening to real English spoken by me, my friends, my family and other people, okay? Uh, With my episodes, you can listen a lot on a regular basis for a long time, long term. And the cumulative effect of doing that is absolutely bound to be beneficial to your English. But you also need to speak to people in conversation in order to practice and develop those vital real life communication skills. And now that's more possible than ever. Thanks to a platform like italki, which lets you connect with qualified teachers and native English speakers for lessons or just conversation practice. There are different prices available. It's all based on your needs and your timetable. And because you listen to this podcast, italki are offering you a free lesson. To get started, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. And I've realized that me whispering like this sounds like I'm telling you a secret, doesn't it? And in a way, it is a little bit of a secret because people, just ordinary, normal, boring people who don't listen to this podcast, they might not know about this offer. So it's just between me me and you. Okay, it's just between me and you. All right, nice one. Okay, let's get started. And here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome to this new episode of Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? I hope you're doing well today, wherever you are, and whatever you happen to be doing at this moment. Here's a new episode, and this one is all about Professor Stephen Hawking. I hadn't been planning to do this episode. In fact, I woke up this morning to the news that Stephen Hawking had died And I thought to myself, well, that's sad. And I really must talk about this on the podcast. Um, So here it is. Uh, I'm doing it now in this episode. Unplanned, but I've kind of quickly put some things together. And I think um, this will be a whole episode all about Stephen Hawking. He was a British scientist who must be considered uh, one of the most significant people of recent years. A brilliant mind who contributed so much to our understanding of the nature of reality itself, the universe, while also struggling against some extreme personal difficulties. And for those reasons, he is 
uh, he continues to be, a great inspiration to many people around the world. And um, I think uh, he's someone who's definitely worth talking about on this podcast. And so I'm just going to talk about Stephen Hawking, talk about his life and a few other things as well. Okay. I don't know to what extent Stephen Hawking was known, respected, read in your countries. I think that Stephen Hawking's influence crosses many boundaries, international boundaries. I think he's known around the world as being a very significant person. I'm just going to read from his obituary. Uh, An obituary is uh, like a summary of someone's life after they have died. When whenever someone dies, you can read the obituaries in um, in the newspapers. And the one that I'm reading from here is on the BBC's website. So this is the BBC's obituary of Stephen Hawking. And um, this was published today. And it goes like this. Uh, so let, let me go through the, the obituary. I'm also going to talk about some other bits and pieces. And I will explain some language as we go. So this is a chance for us to just consider the life and work and influence and legacy of uh, of Professor Stephen Hawking, while also learning some English in the process. So Stephen Hawking, who died aged 76, uh, battled motor neurone disease to become one of the world's most respected and best-known scientists. So motor neurone disease. This is a disease that affects the nerves and the brain. And um, it's pretty complicated, but essentially that deals with things like uh, how much uh, you can have control over your body. So obviously the brain is connected to the central nervous system. And through that central nervous system, the brain is able to control all the muscles in the body, which allow you to do everything uh, to, to move to stand, to walk around, to communicate. And uh, motor neurone disease left, well, it meant that Stephen Hawking basically could hardly move at all. I'll talk in more detail about it in a moment. So he battled motor neurone disease. And despite this serious health problem, he managed to become one of the most respected and best known scientists of his age. Despite that problem, Maybe even because of that problem, he said, I think, a couple of times that somehow having this disease sort of forced him to work in a certain way. That may have encouraged him to focus his uh, obviously amazing mind on uh, theoretical physics. And since he couldn't actually do the physical part of scientific um, experiments and lecturing and things like that, uh, it meant that he had to focus his mind entirely on theories uh, of physics. And that's where he, I guess, uh, made the most progress, or that's where he achieved so much. And maybe, in a weird way, not being able to move meant that uh, he was able to focus his mind a lot more on theoretical work. The obituary continues like this. It says, a man of great humour... He became a popular ambassador for science and was always careful to ensure that the general public had ready access to his work. His book, A Brief History of Time, became an unlikely bestseller, although it's unclear how many people actually managed to get to the end of it. 
Um, so yeah, A Brief History of Time is a, a very, very successful book in, in the sense that uh, it was bought by lots of people, although we don't know how many of those people actually read it or finished it. I mean, he's famous for bringing very complicated theories about physics into the popular domain. And the book was written to be read by the layman or lay people. Lay people, that's a word to describe people who don't have specific expert scientific knowledge. Okay. And it works for science. So if you're not a scientist, you're a lay person like me. I'm I'm a lay person, someone who doesn't have all of the expert knowledge of science, and I don't I don't know all the the complicated language and ideas in science. So I'm just like a normal person or a non scientifically educated person, a lay person. It works in law as well. If you get someone who is, if you get a trained lawyer or someone who knows all about the language of law, then they're you know they they're that's a legal person or something a lawyer but if you're not a lawyer if you've never done any legal training you don't know all the language of law and all the complex legal terms then you're a lay person as well a layman so um the the book was um successful as a a way of bringing complicated theories of physics uh to the lay person Although uh, even even still, uh, I think the book was incredibly complicated and not that many people actually finished it. If you remember, last year I did an episode of this podcast all about the stand-up comedian uh, Bill Bailey and uh, we listened to a bit of his routine about Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time. And basically, Bill Bailey was saying that uh, he chose to read the book, but it was so... Even the title was a bit too complicated for him. Here's a quick reminder. If you want to hear more of this, you can go back and listen to the episode about Bill Bailey. But here's a quick reminder of what one of the things Bill Bailey, the comedian, said about A Brief History of Time. So I'm always trying to better myself. Brief History of Time, right. Um, how can time have a history? Surely history is time, isn't it? And time is history. And time is an unbroken chain stretching off into the future, back into the past. And how can such a thing be brief... If it is infinite. And I thought to myself, I can't even get past the title. <laughs> All right. So how can if time be brief if it's infinite? And uh, how can you have a brief history? Because a brief history of time? Surely time is history and history is time. And uh, time is just infinite. So how can you have a brief history of time? And I thought to myself, I can't even get past the title. Uh, which I imagine is what the book is like. I haven't read it, but I imagine that it's hard to even progress past the first page. It's probably so dense and so complicated. Anyway, it's a famous book, uh, a best-selling book, but uh, I wonder how many people have actually read it. Um, Stephen Hawking was famous, as it said in the obituary there, uh, he was famous for having a a, a good sense of humour, which uh, I think is evident in certain things that he did in his life for example he appeared in episodes of the simpsons and also he was interviewed uh, by john oliver on uh, his show and that was a very funny moment so it's good to know that someone like this had such a good sense of humor that's always a uh, an attractive uh, um, aspect of a person's personality it always for, i mean not just for me but generally people find that so endearing when a brilliant man like this uh, has a sense of humour 
because you could imagine that you know a genius uh, a professor of this caliber you can imagine him being a very self-important pompous arrogant kind of person you'd probably let him get away with it because you think well he is Stephen Hawking is a genius, but apparently Stephen Hawking was able to laugh at himself and he had a good sense of humour too. Uh, We might uh, explore that side of his personality later on in this episode. Let's carry on with the obituary. Um, Stephen Hawking appeared in a number of popular TV shows, like The Simpsons, and lent his synthesised voice to various recordings. That's right, he had a synthesised voice. So because of his motor neuron disease, he actually lost the control of... um, all of the muscles and uh, all of the different physical uh, parts of the body responsible for uh, producing speech. Um, and so his voice was replaced by a synthesized voice, which is incredible. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but he essentially would work. He, he, he again, I don't really know, but um, he would be in a wheelchair. The wheelchair had a computer attached to it. And the computer was incredibly sophisticated and it was able to... So I think he, all, all he, the only part of his face that he could move was like a, a muscle in his cheek. And he was fitted with a special kind of, a special pair of glasses, I think, which had a sensor on them so that he could move his cheek and control the computer. And the c- computer itself had like uh, voice a voice box, like a synthesized voice and software that allowed him to uh, type um, sentences or maybe choose from um, phrases, you know, that he uh, frequently used. You know, like a a bit like when you write a text message on your iPhone and it predicts the words you're going to use or it's got like a bank of phrases that, you know, it, it expects you might need to use. And so you can kind of produce your texts much more quickly. I think Stephen Hawking was using a similar system like quite early on like before we had that kind of thing in our phones anyway so he would communicate uh, using a computer uh, read which he controlled with a somehow using uh, the muscle in his cheek using a sensor connecting to the computer and that's how he produced his speech and it was so he had he had this characteristic synthesized voice um, which um, you know uh, was famous you know Stephen Hawking was famous for uh, speaking in that synthesized sort of robotic sounding voice um, Stephen William Hawking was born in Oxford on the 8th of January 1942 his father uh, a research biologist had moved with his mother from London to escape German bombing uh, so they they moved away from London in order to escape the German bombing in the war he was born during the war part of that generation that was born during or just after the war um i guess he was a um he was a contemporary of of people like the beatles stephen hawking grew up in london and st albans and after gaining a first class degree in physics from oxford went on to cambridge for postgraduate research in cosmology As a teenager, he had enjoyed horse riding and rowing, but while at Cambridge, he was diagnosed with a form of motor neurone disease, which was to leave him almost completely paralysed. Paralysed basically means that you can't move. If you're paralysed, it means you can't move, right? Uh, Often people um, become paralysed after they have uh, an accident that damages the spine. 
So if you break your back, for example, uh, you can be paralysed from the waist down or paralysed from the neck down. I mean, famously, um, Christopher Reeve, the actor who used to play Superman, fell off a horse and I think he damaged uh, his spine in in his neck and he was paralysed from the neck down. Uh, In the case of Stephen Hawking, he was paralysed by the uh, motor neurone disease, which basically attacked the, uh, the central nervous system leaving him complete, almost completely paralysed. As he was preparing to marry his first wife, Jane, in 1964, his doctors gave him no more than two or three years of life. So back in 1964, doctors predicted that he would uh, only live for a couple of years. But the disease progressed more slowly than expected, luckily. The couple had three children, and in 1988... Although Hawking was by now only able to speak with a voice synthesizer following a tracheotomy, tracheotomy, uh, he had completed a brief history of time, a layman's guide to cosmology. So he um, he had a tracheotomy, which is basically when the windpipe. So the windpipe is the um, part of your throat where air passes between the lungs and the uh, and the mouth. That's your windpipe. It's in your throat. A tracheotomy is when the windpipe is is they basically cut into the windpipe um, in order to allow you to breathe. So it's probably I don't I guess the windpipe is hooked up maybe to a computer or a machine or something that uh, does the job of of uh, you know oh, how to explain it. Normally, if your central nervous system works properly, there are lots of functions in your body which are done by the brain without you having to think about it. Uh, the brain just sends these messages to your body, for example, to, to, to make you breathe. So you breathe without thinking about it. It, it. It's automatic. But if your nervous system, if all the neurons aren't working properly, then it might be the case that you don't, don't I don't know, you don't breathe or your body doesn't breathe. I don't know to what extent Stephen Hawking could actually breathe on his own. Anyway, he, he must have had to, he must have had various types of uh, work done to allow him to breathe and perhaps the um, his windpipe was probably, you know, because he couldn't hold himself up physically because he, you know, lacking the, the, uh, the muscle power, the, the, the motor skills to be able to actually hold himself up physically. I expect his windpipe got a bit squashed or crushed or something. Anyway, they had to perform a tracheotomy on him which I suppose caused him to lose his voice. I mean, even if he had been able to um, control his, his, his mouth and, and um, you know, do all the things that we can do in order to speak, uh, maybe he wouldn't have been able to do that anyway because they performed this tracheotomy. Um, anyway, uh, let's go back to the obituary. So the disease progressed more slowly. Fine. So it's it, the, the book... Um, a Brief History of Time, sold more than 10 million copies, although its author uh, was aware that it was dubbed the most popular book never read. So again, evidence there that probably lots of people bought it, but not that many people actually read it because it's so bloody difficult. Not the sort of book you can take with you on holiday. Um, he received honorary degrees, medals, prizes and awards throughout his career and was honoured with a CBE in 1982. CBE is is one of the classes 
of honour, which is given to uh, people by the Queen. There are different levels or different classes. We have um, MBE, OBE, CBE, KBE or DBE and um, GBE. To be honest, the, the ones that most of us know are MBE, OBE, CBE and the knighthood. Okay, and so MBE is the member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. OBE is officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. CBE is commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire. And then above that, it's the knighthood or damehood. Um, and that's when you become Sir, for example, Sir Paul McCartney, or Dame, like Dame Judy Dench. These are basically honours which are given to people by the Queen as a way of saying, well done, you're brilliant, you contributed a lot to Britain in some way. So anyway, it's it's a very um, uh, uh, distinguished thing to receive, the, the CBE. So he was honoured with a CBE in 1982. I think he may have been offered the knighthood, but it was later revealed that he turned it down over issues with the government's funding for science. So this is a man of principle. He was offered the knighthood. It could have he could have been Sir Stephen Hawking, but he turned it down because he disagreed with the way in which the government was funding uh, scientific programs. So clearly, he cared a lot more about science than he did about his own personal celebrity. On the subject of celebrity, Hawking discovered the phenomenon which became known as Hawking radiation. Uh, where black holes leak energy and fade to nothing. Hawking radiation. Well, this is where black holes leak energy and fade to nothing. All right. He was renowned for his extraordinary cap- uh, capacity to visualise scientific solutions without calculation or experiment. This is maybe one of the most amazing things about Stephen Hawking, right? Now, he, he came up with incredible theories about things like the way that black holes work and sort of quantum-level science. It's really, really complicated and difficult stuff. And what's amazing is that he did it all just in his head. He wasn't kind of writing it all down. He wasn't there kind of at the at the blackboard with a piece of chalk, you know, writing out all of these uh, equations and things like that, like you see in the movies. Or even like most scientists or most theoretical physicists, I imagine, are sort of writing things down at least you know but he just did it all in his head just all abstract thinking which is an incredible thing to be able to do i mean the capacity of the guy's brain to be able to hold all of that stuff all at the same time amazing incredibly intelligent um but it was perhaps his theory of everything suggesting that the universe evolves according to well-defined laws that attracted most attention Uh, This complete set of laws can give us the answers to questions like how did the universe begin, he said. Where is it going and will it have an end? If so, how will it end? If we find the answers to these questions, we really shall know the mind of God. Wow, that's what he said about the theory of everything. Hawking's celebrity status was acknowledged even by the Simpsons. He was depicted drinking at a bar with Homer suggesting that he might steal Homer's idea that the universe is shaped like a donut. He appeared in a special documentary about BBC comedy series Red Dwarf 
during which he spoke about why he enjoyed the show and also starred in Star Trek The Next Generation as a hologram of his image. So Stephen Hawking apparently was a fan of Red Dwarf, which is a British comedy series that I think I mentioned in my recent episode about British TV comedy shows. Uh, So, you know, if it's good enough for Stephen Hawking, it's good enough for us, isn't it? Red Dwarf, you might want to check it out. Maybe I should do an episode about it at some point. It's a, it was a, a really funny uh, sort of science fiction sitcom uh, about a bunch of people kind of stuck in space. And there were lots of uh, different... It, it, the show was quite um, knowledgeable about science and about physics and things like that. So there were lots of sort of jokes about time travel and black holes and that kind of thing. Uh, The rock group Pink Floyd used Stephen Hawking's distinctive synthesized voice for the introduction to one of their songs, Keep Talking, on their 1994 album, The Division Bell. And undeterred by his condition, if you're undeterred by something, it means that you're not deterred by it. If you're deterred, it means you're like put off or prevented from doing something. Or maybe if you're deterred, it means you decide not to do something. Uh, because maybe you're scared about it. For example, if you, I don't know, what's a good example? If someone says to you, hey, let's go to this nightclub, and you, you know, you you heard a report that that nightclub was a bit dangerous, that someone like got shot there or something, you would be deterred by the report, by the news, um, you see. But anyway, in this, in this story, this, the word is used like this, undeterred by his condition, he continued his work as uh, Lucasian professor of mathematics at Cambridge University and in 2001 his second book Universe in a Nutshell was published you know the expression in a nutshell if you say something or describe something in a nutshell it's like you kind of summarize it in a very brief way okay nice title Universe in a Nutshell I think it also relates to his ideas about the singularity which is I think a concept he came up with in order to explain what happens at the heart of a black hole. A black hole is oof, it's difficult to explain, isn't it? It's, I guess, what, what happens when a star dies eventually, because eventually what happens is the star implodes on itself, and it, all of that mass that used to make up the star as starts to form a very small space, like a hole... The hole is so dense, you know, like the way planets are very dense and they have a lot of mass uh, and they they attract other things towards them because of gravity. Well, a black hole is so dense that it sucks everything into it. Everything's flying in towards it. And apparently this this gets so intense, this suction of things into this void in the middle, Get, that gets so intense that at the in the middle there is like infinite gravity where everything gets kind of squished into one single tiny spot and that tiny spot is known as a singularity which when it i guess reaches some state it, it then explodes spewing out massive amounts of energy um many people understand that this is how the universe began it began from a singularity of like all matter squeezed into and you know, almost unimaginably small space, which is so incredibly dense and it's like imploding on itself until one point, 
it explodes out and that's the beginning of the big bang you know uh that is the big bang that's the beginning of the universe i so the universe in a nutshell you know you can understand that in this tiny little space in a nutshell that the whole universe packed inside it um this kind of relates to his theory of the singularity i don't i don't um uh i don't really understand all of it as i've said i'm a lay person but anyway it's certainly interesting um erratic this is this is going back to the uh uh, obituary one of the um subtitles in the obituary 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 that's how you say it i know that word it does have the word bitch in it obituary yeah okay um anyway the in the obituary the word erratic is here as a subtitle erratic basically means like unpredictable or inconsistent okay so talking about his uh, inconsistency in his life erratic so it says he believed his illness brought some benefits he said before he developed the disease he'd been bored with life so his life was kind of like up and down or erratic or inconsistent there was like a period before the disease developed that he said he was bored with life interesting Uh, but his condition inevitably made him dependent on others actually going back to that idea of him being bored with life before he got sick obviously it must have been awful to you know to have motor neuron disease and to lose all that control in your body and to be stuck in a wheelchair and to only be able to communicate through a computer like that and to have all those operations and all that you know um to 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 be in hospital so much and so on it must be awful but it seemed that Stephen Hawking was the kind of person to try to look on the positive side of things. And that what, one of the things that's inspirational about him is that even with adverse, ad, adversity like that, he managed to somehow um, uh, make it all work to his advantage. Adversity, challenge or difficulty can somehow focus you and force you to concentrate your energy in one direction. It must have been tough, but it's almost like he thrived on the adversity or something. Yes, but his condition inevitably made him dependent on others. He often paid tribute to his wife, who had looked after him for more than 20 years, and friends and relatives were shocked when he left her for one of his nurses, Elaine Mason, whom he married in 1995. The couple later divorced in 2006. Um, by 2000, Hawking was a frequent visitor to the emergency department of Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge, seeking treatment for a variety of injuries. Police questioned several people about allegations that he had been subjected to verbal and physical abuse over a period of years. So there were maybe some suggestions that he um, uh, was being abused, but... Um, He was known to be an erratic, almost reckless driver of his electric wheelchair, and Hawking insisted his injuries were not caused by abuse, so no action was taken. So, um, yeah, there were sort of suggestions or allegations that he'd been abused. I don't know by who, by people uh, caring for him, but he uh, always said that he wasn't being abused, and in fact that he was just a bad driver of his uh, electric wheelchair. So no action was taken in in um, there. I, I I wonder about his personal life. I remember my my brother used to live in Cambridge, and uh, he saw uh, Stephen Hawking a couple of times, and uh, apparently he 
he was always accompanied by a woman, a nurse, or maybe his girlfriend or his wife or something like that. But James just always noticed that Stephen Hawking, all, all, there was always a, a woman with him. And that, I mean, it seems that he was a bit of a ladies' man, uh, funnily enough. So in 2007, he became the first quadriplegic to experience weightlessness on board the so-called Vomit Comet, a modified plane specially designed to simulate zero gravity. They called it the Vomit Comet. What a lovely name. I imagine they called it that because, well, a comet, you know, is a, a thing that sort of flies through space, like an asteroid. But, um, but a Vomit Comet, yeah, I suppose they called it that because when people ride on it, they throw up. Anyway, lovely name, the Vomit Comet. But he was the first quadriplegic. A quadriplegic is um, someone who's affected by paralysis of all four limbs. So basically, who, someone whose arms and legs are paralysed. And that's a quadriplegic. So he was the first quadriplegic ever to spend time in zero gravity. And there's actually video of him sort of floating in zero gravity with a big smile on his face. He said that he did it to encourage interest in space travel and he booked a seat on Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic suborbital space plane. He said, I believe that life on Earth is at an ever-increasing risk of being wiped out by a disaster such as sudden nuclear war, a genetically engineered virus or other dangers. So um, an ever-increasing risk of being wiped out. If you are wiped out or if something is wiped out, it means it's removed from existence. So that's a bit worrying, I have to say, a bit scary that uh, such an intelligent man, maybe one of the most intelligent men on the planet, had genuine fears of the human race being wiped out by a nuclear war or some genetically engineered virus, like a weaponized virus or something like that. A bit scary. He said, I think the human race has new... He didn't say that. He said this. I think the human race has no future if it doesn't go into space. I therefore want to encourage public interest in space. So a believer in space travel. In 2014, the film The Theory of Everything was released based on Jane Hawking's account of their courtship and marriage. Hawking himself met Eddie Redmayne as part of the actor's preparation for taking on the role of the scientist. In a series for the Discovery Channel, he said it was perfectly rational to assume that there was intelligent life elsewhere, but he warned that aliens might just raid Earth of its resources and then move on. So, yeah, not out of the question that aliens exist. But the scary thing is that he thought that um, if aliens did exist, that they, they might not be nice. They might just want to raid earth of all of its resources which actually when you think about it could be quite possible when you consider the fact that from earth we've been searching for planets with uh, life or stuff that could help sustain life like you know resources minerals energy um, and we haven't really found anything yet i mean maybe we're not that sophisticated at looking uh, for things that we're not very good at space travel yet we don't know but the universe itself might be a rather desolate place. It might be, you know, like a huge desert in a sense. 
and the earth is like an oasis in that in that desert and so if there were aliens out there that were sophisticated enough to travel around they might see the earth and they might just see things like all of our all of our water and uh the things like oil and coal and stuff and they might just think well we don't care about these stupid humans you know and their social media and uh and football and corruption and and uh and stuff like that uh they've got water and oil and oxygen we'll have all that thanks very much so it could be like something out of a science fiction film anyway hawking also predicted the end of humanity from global warming a large comet or a new virus lovely He also collaborated with Russian investor Yuri Milner in 2015 to work on projects to find evidence of alien life. He once wrote that he had motor neurone disease for practically all his adult life, but said that it had not stopped him from having an attractive family and being successful in his work. It shows, he said, that one need not lose hope. That's a nice positive message there, even if... uh, uh, you know the the humanity the the human race might get wiped out by global warming or an asteroid or by viruses or something that i guess we should you know we shouldn't worry about that stuff too much and on a more positive note if you've got difficulty in your life uh, we must remember that where there is life there is hope and so there's always a chance even when it looks pretty bleak when things look a bit hopeless like for example when you get paralyzed from the neck down for example, that uh, it's not the end of the world, that there's still potential for a rich and satisfying life um, ahead of you. And that's a rather wonderful, beautiful idea, isn't it? Yes, it is. Stephen Hawking apparently was also very popular uh, in China. Now, he was popular and inspirational all over the world, I'm sure. And you can write in the comments section of this episode how Stephen Hawking is known in your country. But according to a BBC News report, he was particularly loved and respected in China. So this is a... I'm just going to read a, a bit from this report by Tessa Wong uh, on the BBC News website. And it said, Stephen Hawking, China's love for the late physicist. The late physicist. That's an interesting phrase. We do that. We say that to mean that someone is dead. For example, the late Stephen Hawking. And that just means that Uh, It's just a way of referring to someone being dead. Now, it's weird, isn't it, that we say that? The late Stephen Hawking, the late Professor Stephen Hawking. You know, why are we saying that? He's not late. You know, he's not, it's not like he's, he's on his way. Uh, He's not coming at all. He's dead. But anyway, we do say the late physicist or the late Stephen Hawking, meaning someone who's dead. As the world mourns Professor Stephen Hawking, who has died aged 76, there has been a particular outpouring of emotion in China, where the visionary uh, physicist was revered, meaning highly respected, by scientists, students, the state, and even boy band stars, so like pop stars. He will roam across the universe and its galaxies and in the end will again become its brightest star, said one commenter on the Chinese microblogging network Weibo. Another person said he belongs to the stars and has returned home now. Many people in China grew up reading Professor Hawking's seminal book, A Brief History of Time, 
Apparently, the circulation of the Chinese language edition is reportedly second only to that of the English uh, circulation. So the the book sold most copies in English, but the second... uh, What am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? So the book sold most of its copies in English, but also a lot of copies in Chinese as well. Uh, His 2006 visit to China was covered with breathless excitement. Huh! with state media comparing his appeal to that of Tom Cruise. And when he joined Weibo in 2016, saying hello to my friends in China, he was met with a rapturous response, amassing millions of followers within hours. Professor Hawking was, of course, beloved around the world, but the adulation and respect he's always commanded in China is perhaps in another universe altogether. Scholars and academics have traditionally been held in high regard in Chinese culture, which also prizes a hard-striving and disciplined work ethic. Having overcome great odds in his life, he was seen as having these qualities in spades. There's a nice expression. To have something in spades, it means that you've got a lot of it. For example, he, uh, so the Chinese revered, uh, or revere, in fact, uh, uh, a hard-striving and disciplined work ethic. So he has, and, and Stephen Hawking has these qualities in spades. He's very hardworking. He's got a very strong, he, he had, sorry, a very strong worth work ethic. So he had those qualities in spades. A spade, by the way, is a, a tool that you would use to dig in the ground. So if, you're, if you want to shift a lot of earth, if you've dug a hole in the ground and you need to shift a lot of that earth, you'd use a, a spade or a shovel. It's like a digging tool. If you have something in spades, it means you have a lot of it. Okay. We all admire his creativity and his spirit of research, despite the extreme difficulty of his physical situation. Uh, Tsinghua University Professor Xing Tung Yao told the BBC. I'm sure I pronounced that correctly, didn't I? Of course I did. Professor Yao, who helped to arrange Professor Hawking's visits to China, added, He was very friendly and was willing to explain physics to laymen. His smile attracted the attention of everybody. The Chinese are grateful for his generosity in spending time in China. Um, Professor Hawking also came along at a time when modern China began accelerating its scientific and space ambitions. Thus, a role model ideal for the Chinese state to champion emerged. A role model ideal for the Chinese state to champion emerged or a role model which was ideal for the Chinese state for China to champion emerged to champion that means to celebrate support to um, let's say for example if you often hear this expression to champion something you often hear it on BBC's music uh, radio station BBC six music And that's because often what they do is they champion new bands or new artists. I guess probably a a band like the Arctic Monkeys, when they first arrived on the scene, they were championed by BBC Six Music, meaning BBC Six Music found the Arctic Monkeys before other, uh, other people had, and they played their records a lot on the radio, and they generally sort of supported and promoted them. They cha- and they turned them into champions. You know, they championed them. So uh, to champion something, yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, because uh, 
because Hawking came along when China was accelerating its scientific and space ambitions, uh, he represented uh, a kind of um, a role model which was ideal for uh, the Chinese state to champion. So they ch- the China championed him as a role model, um, especially because of the adversity. You know, ha- hard work in, ad- in adverse conditions, um, that is something to champion, I would say. Hawking has near superstar status in China, and the Chinese government preaches that scientific prowess is crucial to the uh, country's future power. Prowess is like skill or expertise in a particular activity or field. So like brilliance, excellence, that's prowess. Um, So Hawking has near superstar status in China and the Chinese government preaches that scientific prowess is crucial to the country's future power, reads one report carried by state media in 2006. It also helped that he was generally not critical of China at first, Does that mean that later he was critical of China? I don't know. Anyway, he wasn't critical of China. That probably helped. And he was happy to play to the crowd. If you play to the crowd, it means you kind of please the the crowd. Uh, For example, this is something that he said. Uh, He said, I like Chinese culture, Chinese food, and above all, Chinese women. I told you he was a ladies' man. He said, uh, I, like, I like Chinese culture, Chinese food, and above all, Chinese women. They're beautiful, he told his audience at an appearance during his last trip, while also praising the Chinese for being very clever, hardworking, and having achieved a lot in science and technology. Don't worry, other countries, if you're now feeling jealous that Stephen Hawking was so um, positive about China, if you're in another country and you're thinking, oh, I want him to say say nice things about my country too. I'm sure that he, uh, being the benevolent and lovely man that he was, I'm sure he would have had lovely things to say about many countries. Okay. If you're, if at this point you're feeling a little bit unloved um, compared to the, the, the love flying in the direction of China at this point. Um, Now, Stephen Hawking, as well as contributing so much to our understanding of the universe, he also was an inspiration to people struggling against difficulty of various kinds, both physical and mental. And um, I found an interesting article on a website called The Minds Journal. What's The Minds Journal? What's all that about? The Minds Journal is a platform that brings together writers and readers from across the world to share thoughts that promote self-development. Uh, okay, so it's all about self-development, which often self-development, you know, that could be about things like trying to trying to become a better person or self-motivation and things like that. And this article um, by Zanem on The Minds Journal is entitled, Stephen Hawking has a beautiful message for anyone suffering from depression. I think that depression is something that all of us experience at one time uh, or another, some people more than other people. But depression is something that can strike any of us, even if you don't even realise, if, if, if it's not being labelled as depression, if you just feel like things are a little bit too difficult, or if you just feel like you, you, you don't have everything under control, or you feel like giving up, or whatever. You know those feelings, we all feel like that from time to time. Apparently Stephen Hawking uh, said some, th- some things that could be comforting to anyone suffering from those feelings. Um, and it on this website, these things are written. After his diagnosis, Hawking says, or said, that he had absolutely no expectations for life 
but he didn't let it deter him from doing his best to live fully and passionately. There's that word deter again. Deter from doing. You notice, deter someone from doing something. So his diagnosis of his motor neuron disease, he didn't let that deter him from doing his best to live fully and passionately. He has 12 honorary degrees and has built a life dedicated to the study of theoretical physics, including robust theories on creation, the Big Bang and the universe. By the way, this is written in the present tense, this article, because it was written when Stephen Hawking was still alive. Uh, Depression is a subject that Stephen Hawking recently commented on at a lecture in London at the Royal Institute, likening the condition to a black hole. Likening, meaning comparing it or saying that it was similar. So he likened depression to a black hole. He said, The message of this lecture is that black holes aren't as black as they are painted. They're not the eternal prisons that they were once thought. So I think this is relating to one of his theories about black holes is that they, I I guess what people used to think is that when when matter went into a black hole, it was lost forever. But I think Stephen Hawking suggested that when matter goes into a black hole, it doesn't stay there forever, that it can actually come out or go out the other side. And there are, I think there are theories even that black holes represent portals to alternative universes, parallel realities. I don't know. It's amazing. I don't really understand it all. But the point is that Stephen Hawking suggested that black holes weren't like prisons. So when matter, when stuff goes into a black hole, it is possible for it to escape or go out the other side or something. He said, things can get out of a black hole, both on the outside and possibly to another universe. So if you feel that you're in a black hole, don't give up. There is a way out. Which is a nice way of reminding us that there is always hope that we should never give up. Furthermore, when asked about his disabilities and the effect that they have on his outlook on life, he responded beautifully. He said, the victim should have the right to end his life if he wants. But I think that it would be a great mistake. However bad life may seem, there's always something that you can do and succeed at. While there's life, there is hope. That's a, a, a good sentiment, don't you think? That even when things look really, really bad, that there's always something there. There's always hope there. As long as you're still alive, there is always the potential and possibility for you to come out of the darkness and ultimately succeed. He would further this sentiment with a heartfelt message for those with disabilities like himself. Um, and by the way, disabled is the word that we use to describe people who've got like physical um, disabilities. Like, you know, for example, someone who's in a wheelchair, we say disabled. OK, we don't say handicapped as the as the the word for people with a, a, a disability. We'd say disab- uh, disabled people. Uh, he said, if you're disabled, it's probably not your fault, but it's no good blaming the world or expecting it to take pity on you. One has to have a positive attitude and must make the best of the situation that one finds oneself in. Notice that he's using the word one, meaning, you know, pe- you know pe- people in general. Often we, we just say you these days, but one is the slightly perhaps old fashioned or proper way of saying it. 
one has to have a positive attitude and must make the best of the situation that one finds oneself in. If one is physically disabled, one cannot afford to be psychologically disabled as well. In my opinion, one should concentrate on activities in which one's physical disability will not present a serious handicap. Here, the word handicap is used to refer to an obstacle that will prevent you from doing something. It's not the word used to describe the the people. We use disabled for the people. A handicap, in this case, would be a uh, like a, a barrier or an obstacle. He said, "I'm afraid that Olympic games for the dis- for the disabled don't appeal to me, but it's easy for me to say that because I never liked athletics anyway. On the other hand, science is a very good area for disabled people because it goes on it goes on mainly in the mind." Of course, most kinds of experimental work are probably ruled out for most such people, but theoretical work is almost ideal. My abilities, sorry, my disabilities have not been a significant handicap in my field, which is theoretical physics. Indeed, they've helped me in a way by shielding me from lecturing and administrative work that I would otherwise have been involved in. I've managed, however, only because of the large amount of help that I've received from my wife, children, colleagues and students. I find that people in general are very ready to help, but you should encourage them to feel that their efforts to aid you are worthwhile by doing as well as you possibly can. That's nice, isn't it? He sounded like a nice bloke, didn't he, Stephen Hawking? Positive, sort of a hopeful positive person and someone who felt it was important to let people know um, their value and and how helpful and useful other people can be and also it was nice to know that he's the kind of person who recognized the fact that these you know achievements are often a group effort that you you know you you need to recognize the other people in your life who've helped you achieve things that's nice isn't it very nice i'm going to play you a click a click note, a quick scene from the film, the, the theory of everything, which uh, is on YouTube. And this is um, a scene with um, Eddie Redmayne portraying Stephen Hawking, although we don't hear Eddie's voice, of course, because uh, in this scene, Stephen Hawking is communicating using the synthesized uh, voice. So you'll hear Stephen Hawking's characteristic voice in this clip. But he's in a uh, a big lecture theatre with a big audience and someone asks him a question about God. Professor Hawking, you have said you do not believe in God. Do you have a philosophy of life? Well, that's weird. The, the sound is not very good. Did you hear that? Professor Hawking, you have said you do not believe in God. Professor Hawking, you have said that you do not believe in God. Do you have a do you have a philosophy of life that helps you? Okay. Now, in the in the movie scene, it's no good to you here on in in audio, but um, there one of the girls in the audience drops her pen on the ground, and um, Stephen Hawking kind of imagines being able to get up 
uh, bend down and pick up the pen for this attractive girl and then hand it back to her. That's he sort of has a little daydream and then he answers. Then he manages to answer the question. Um, he kind of we go back to reality and he he answers the question uh, about whether on whether or not he has a philosophy about life, considering he doesn't believe in God. You have said you do not believe in God. Do you have a philosophy of life that helps you? It is clear that we are just an advanced breed of primates. It's clear that we're just an advanced breed of primates. Okay. It is clear that we are just an advanced breed of primates on a minor planet orbiting around a very average star. We're just a, an advanced breed of primates on a, mi- on a minor planet orbiting around a very average star. Minor planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. In the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. So basically saying that our, in a sense, we're very insignificant just in some tiny corner of the the universe, just um, an advanced species of primates. But... Ever since the dawn of civilization. But ever since the dawn of civilization. People have craved for an understanding of the underlying order of the world. People have craved for an understanding of the underlying order of the world. There ought to be something very special about the boundary conditions of the universe. There ought to be something very special about the boundary conditions of the universe. So there must be something very special about the the boundary or the edge, the frontier of the universe. What, what is the limit of the universe? This is a question that people have often asked themselves. And what can be more special than that there is no boundary? And what can be more special than the fact that there is no boundary? And there should be no boundary to human endeavour. We are all different, however bad life may seem. We're all different, and however bad life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. Uh, No matter how difficult life may seem, there's always something that we can do and succeed at. There is life. There is hope. And the audience gives him a standing ovation, rising to their feet to applaud him. Where there's life, there's hope. I think it's a good sentiment, don't you? So I mentioned before about the fact that Stephen Hawking is known for having his sense of humour. Uh, he was interviewed by John Oliver on John Oliver's show last week tonight. You may have seen this. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but uh, they did a series on last week tonight, which is kind of like a, a sort of satire comedy show where they talk about news and things. And um, they did a series called um, Great Minds. And uh, in this one they talk to well John Oliver talked to Stephen Hawking and John Oliver is brilliant he's a very funny uh, comedian 
from the UK who now is based in the United States and he does sort of political satire on his show. Very funny guy. And this is him talking to Stephen Hawking. And it just shows that Stephen Hawking's obviously got a sense of humour if he um, if he was willing to go along with this interview and the, the, the general sort of uh, funny questions that uh, John Oliver is asking him. I travelled to the Department of Applied Mathematics and Theoretical Physics at Cambridge University to speak with one of the world's greatest living minds. Uh, first off, congratulations on being the first subject of our Great Mind series. Be honest, is this the single greatest honour you have ever received? Yes. Good. It's a little hard to read your tone of voice. When you say that, are you being sarcastic? Yes. I thought so. Um, if there was- <laughs> it's so great actually seeing that because uh, that obviously that's very funny. So, you know, congratulations, this must be the single greatest honour of your life to be featured uh, in this interview, the, being the first guest in our Great Minds series. Uh, you know, does that feel like the greatest honour you've ever experienced? And uh, he says, yes. And, well, you heard it. I'm repeating it maybe just to help those people who didn't catch it. But... Um, I, and he said, it's, it's hard to tell by the tone of your voice if you're being sarcastic or not. Are you being sarcastic? And he said, yes. And then there's like this wonderful uh, smile on Stephen Hawking's face, which shows that he's clearly enjoying this funny conversation. Wonderful. Say that, are you being sarcastic? Yes. I thought so. Um, if there is one thing you want people to understand about your work, bearing in mind that most people will never understand anything about your work, what would that thing be? Imaginary time. People think it's something you have in dreams or when you're up against a deadline. But it's a well-defined concept. Imaginary time is like another direction in space. It's the one bit of my work science fiction writers haven't used because they don't understand it. Imaginary time? I'm not sure I understand that either. But maybe that's the feeling that sometimes time feels like it's going more slowly and sometimes it feels like it's going very quickly like for example when you are waiting for a bus uh, it feels like time goes really really slowly or when you're listening to luke's english podcast it feels like time what does it feel like time goes very slowly or very quickly i don't know but anyway it just at certain different times in your life it feels like uh, time moves more quickly or more slowly like when you're really enjoying something, it feels like time flies. Whereas when you're uh, kind of experiencing something a bit boring, um, then it feels like time goes really, really, really slowly. Like, you know, if you've got a job, like a, a really shit job at McDonald's or something, and you, you have to do an eight-hour shift, I mean, that eight hours can feel like an absolute lifetime, especially if you keep looking at your watch, which you shouldn't do, by the way. You, should, you know, if you're trying to uh, make time go more quickly, don't keep looking at your watch because you'll just be more and more aware of the passing of time. So you should just completely ignore your watch and try and forget about time completely and then it'll probably pass more quickly. Maybe that's what he's talking about with imaginary time, that, that sense that 
sometimes time feels like it's going faster or slower. I've, I don't know. I'm just speculating. But anyway, he's saying that this is the thing that uh, science fiction writers, the one idea that science fiction writers haven't stolen from him because they don't understand it. It could be a good idea, though, couldn't it? Imaginary time that being able to slow down or speed up time based on the experience you're having, that that could be a, like an interesting idea. Maybe you could get Arnold Schwarzenegger who um, manages to slow th- downtime by doing something very boring um what could it be maybe like there's a there's like a he's got to chase uh, a serial killer and in order to prevent the serial killer from uh being able to commit the crime he uh has to he he reads a grammar book present perfect and that slows down time and then he manages to catch the killer. Or maybe he leaves, like, pages from a grammar book on the floor. I, I don't know. I, it's just a stupid idea. Anyway, that's what science fiction writers haven't used yet because they don't understand it. I don't understand it either. But it could be a good vehicle for an Arnold Schwarzenegger I, movie, don't you think? <laughs> Imaginary time! <laughs> Congratulations on being the first subject of our Great Mind series. Be honest... Is this the single greatest honour you have ever received? Yes. Good. It's a little hard to read your tone of voice. When you say that, are you being sarcastic? Yes. I thought so. Um, If there is one thing you want people to understand about your work, bearing in mind that most people will never understand anything about your work, what would that thing be? Imaginary time. People think it's something you have in dreams, or when you're up against a deadline. But it's a well-defined concept. Imaginary time is like another direction in space. It's the one bit of my work science fiction writers haven't used, because they don't understand it. Ugh, idiots. People are such idiots, because presumably, to my mind, you're simply talking about the theoretical measurement obtained from real time by a wink rotation of pi divided by 2 in a complex plane where t equals i times t. It's just not that difficult to get your head around. Obviously being uh, ironic there, because he's pretending like he knows uh, what imaginary time is. Ha ha ha, very funny. Anyway, you can watch the rest of that uh, clip uh, on uh, on the internet, you've heard of the internet, right? Of course you have. Oh, it's, uh, all right, I'll put that um, video on the uh, on the page for this episode. How about that? Yeah, that would be great, Luke. Thanks. That's what you're all saying. Oh, like, thanks, Luke. Thanks so much. That's like a massive audience of people around the world. All thanking me for putting that video on the um, on the page for this episode, just to make your life so much better. Ah, oh. all right. Now, I thought I'd end this episode with a song, a song, um, and this is a song written by Eric Idle, who was a, a member of Monty Python's Flying Circus, that comedy group from the UK in the seventies and sixties and stuff. Still going today, more or less. So this is a song written by Eric Idle, which was used in the Monty Python film The Meaning of Life. And it's a song called the it's called the Galaxy Song, and it's all about the galaxy, about the universe and stuff. And um I want to do this one because 
Apparently Stephen Hawking agreed to record a version of this song for Monty Python's recent live shows. In the comments section on my website today, uh, Marta, who's a regular in the comments section, posted this video and it just made me think of how much I like the song. And Stephen Hawking, as I said, actually agreed to record a version of this song for Monty Python's recent live show. So it's the song with his uh, electronic voice doing the, the lyrics over the top. The song is, I think it's beautiful. I love the song. And it's all about how we should remember that in the context of everything, the universe that uh, we live in, uh, in this massive existence, our problems are actually rather small and insignificant, and that we should realise that many limitations that we feel inside ourselves are actually imposed on us by ourselves, and that the universe itself has no frontiers, and so there should be no frontiers to human imagination and um, achievement and things like that. And also, it's it's a nice song about the universe and things, and I'm going to try to do it for you now with very little uh, preparation. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious or daft, and you feel like you've had quite enough, just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving, revolving at 900 miles an hour. Orbiting at 19 miles a second, so it's reckoned A sun that is the source of all our power The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see Are moving at a million miles a day In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour Of the galaxy we call the Milky Way Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars It's a hundred thousand light years side by side Side to side It bulges in the middle sixteen thousand light years thick But out by us it's just three thousand light years wide We're thirty thousand light years from galactic central point We go round and round every two hundred million years And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions In this amazing and expanding universe itself keeps on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz as fast as it can go at the speed of light you know 12 million miles a minute and that's the fastest speed there is so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure how amazingly unlikely is your birth And pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space Cause there's bugger all down here on Earth 
All right, then. That's the end of this episode, all about Professor Stephen Hawking. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.